The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the eighth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you will say, You will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Every October, I have a habit that I've developed. I try to make sure that I read at least one book that has to do with Martin Luther, the Reformation, or something else along that line. For as monumental as the Reformation was in the history of our church, it does tend to be a little bit hard to keep in touch with. There's so many other things going around that sometimes you lose sight of the true depth of the event, how God was graciously at work at a point in time through men and women just like us this day to bring about a reclamation of his holy gospel and to bring his church back to the purity of faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. But the more you read, the more you find out that there are quite a few people who don't view the Reformation quite the way that we do. After all, it is a day of great celebration for us. We're here dedicating an entire Lord's Day to it. But to other people, Luther, Melanchthon, the reformers and the reformation which they wrought, they view it as a disruption, a turning away from a good thing, violence done to the church. They view it as something that we should see much in the line of schism or a civil war within the church. Now you might imagine who the people with this particular view are, they shall go unnamed at the present time. Still, what they say is more or less this. We had a good thing going, Luther. The church was powerful. The church was respected. When the church spoke on matters, people listened. We had a system in place that worked. We had our bishops and our monasteries. We had our beautiful cathedrals. And then you came and fouled it all up. And those were the same criticisms that the reformers faced in their days. Everything is fine. Why are you kicking up such a fuss over such trivial matters? 
Indulgences aren't that bad. They haven't done that much damage. You're overreacting. And have you seen St. Peter's Basilica? It's beautiful and paid for, Luther. The coffers of the church are full and we are strong. The empire is united in one profession of faith, united to one man in Rome, and you want to come in here and disrupt all of that. You want to challenge the church's authority. You want to say that we and our venerable history are wrong. You want to throw dissension into the ranks of the people of the empire. For what? To feel like you've won some trite theological battle? To feel like Martin Luther is the man of the hour? And really, not so much has changed throughout the years. It maybe isn't specifically from the church and state anymore, at least not as they existed in the 16th century, but still, very much to this day, there are people who ask, why are you bothering us when we've got a good thing going? Why are you bothering us with all this talk of sin and damnation, this talk of repentance and the forgiveness of sins? What need have we of that? Why are you bothering us with this talk about the law of God, about the holy Ten Commandments and God's design and intention for his creation? Why should we care? After all, this is America the most prosperous nation on the world. And we have our money in a bank account. We have our roofs over our heads. We have our iPhones and our Twitter and all the things that we need to keep us happy and content in this life. And you want to come around and preach this message of denial, this message of suffering, this message of trial and cross, and you want to tell all of us that we should give up our pleasures in this life. For what? For some Galilean on a cross? For some dusty, antiquated old book? Am I saying anything that you haven't heard before? And really, it's the exact same thing that Jesus faced. Jesus' gospel was divisive. It was controversial. It was frustrating to the powers that be. To the Pharisees, it was a disruption of everything that they had worked for centuries to achieve. Why, Jesus? Why are you bothering us with this? We have a good thing going. The Israel is strong, if still somewhat under the thumb of the Romans. And if we just continue as we are going, then surely we can expect good things. We labored hard for this, and you want to come in and tell us that this is all wrong. That we have indeed set our sights on the wrong things. That we have led people away from the word of God. That you are the one to whom every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. Why, Jesus? Why must you make such a fuss? 
Why must, you, why must you kick up such dirt into our eyes? Why must you muddy the waters with this gospel of yours? Why now? Why amidst everything else? Why again when we've already got a good thing going? And the answer is because it's not a good thing. It seems good to your eyes, whether it seemed that way to the eyes of the 16th century church or to the America of today or of the Pharisees of Jesus' time, it was never the halcyon days that they truly believed. For indeed, even when the empire had stability and unity, even when America today has prosperity and good prospects for the future, even when Israel at the time had concord and had solidarity, the fact of the matter is things were not okay. There was not a good thing going. There were sinners dying by the day. People living under the oppression of the law, their sins made manifest to them, to others, and to God himself. And living under that threat, they had no hope. For indeed, the law demands perfection, and anyone who honestly assesses themselves must say, I am not what this demands. And yet, they slave away, slave away, attempting to fulfill the law, attempting to fulfill some bargain in their minds by which they believed that they can appease God. That if they're just good enough, if they're just good, faithful 16th century Roman Catholics, if they're just good, decent, moral American citizens, if they were just good, upright tradition of the elders respecting Pharisees, that that was all that they would really need. And if they could just do that, then God would be satisfied. But the law teaches us something far different. It teaches us, again, the extent of our falling teaches us just how wide the gap between us and the righteousness of God truly is. And it reveals us to be slaves of our sins, slaves of our unholy desires, slaves of our unjust passions. And we have this verdict always looming over our head, that that which is detestable, that which is sinful, that which is corrupt to its very nature shall not know the presence of God and the joys of his kingdom, but will be cast out, cast to the place of eternal darkness, where the fire is not quenched and the worm does not die. And so long as that is the case, and nothing else really matters. What good is earthly peace, earthly prosperity, earthly concord if all these things should yield way to enmity with God? The kingdoms of this earth in their splendor, they will die and they will pass 
They will collect in the books of history which too will one day turn to dust and ash and they will be forgotten. Until there is nothing left but a man and God. And at that point, what man needs is not a new list of things to do. It is not the lashing at his back telling him to rise up to the holiness of God's law. What he needs is an advocate. What he needs is a liberator. What he needs is the freedom of the gospel. The true freedom which no earthly freedom compares to. The knowledge that one is eternally secure in the presence of God. That God's kingdom is open to him. That his gifts are accessible. That he calls upon God not as a distant judge and contemner, but as a loving father, a merciful redeemer, and one who cares and provides for him in all things of this life and the next. What man needs is Jesus, the Son who can say to us who are enslaved by sin that you are free, the one who has the power of life and death and who can take away our mortal corruption to replace it with his own holy immortality, the one who has the keys of death and Hades and who says, these are shut to you, but the gates of my Father's kingdom are wide open, and who promises that he has power over life and death and that he has claimed us as his own, claimed us in word and sacrament to be destined for life eternal, that our bodies should rise from the grave and stand before him in righteousness and purity all the days of the life to come. To the world that just seems passe, it's hard to tell the world to put aside the trivial things that they have taken pleasure in for something that comes in the future. But indeed, I can say with confidence that the world knows no true peace a part of it. And indeed, what we find is that the things of this life, the sinful pleasures and joys, and even just the trivial things that distract us, are far pale in comparison to the reward that waits for us at the end. What is prosperity, after all, compared to the riches of the kingdom of God's glory? What is peace and stability compared with the knowledge that we shall never know pain or tears or suffering again? What is the value in a stable, Liberal, libertine country compared to an everlasting freedom which no one can take from us. And indeed, the Reformation brought that back to mind. For as long as the church had languished in darkness, it was through God's gracious working, through Luther and through the other men and women of his time, that he reminded us of the light of his gospel and of the freedom that the Son of God has given to us. 
And as we needed it then in the 16th century, so too we need it today. And so we will need it tomorrow, down throughout the centuries, as long as Christ waits until he has collected all of his redeemed, day by day, the world needs nothing so desperately as it needs the assurance of the forgiveness of sins in Christ's blood. And though the world have no thanks for it, yet to us, it is a mighty fortress, a place of refuge and a peace which nothing else can give us. And so, let's not table this until next October. Let's not let this day slip into the back of our minds until we bring out the good old Lutheran hymns next year. But let us remember that the heart of today is that freedom in Christ which we daily return to, the gift of holy baptism which we daily live in, the promise of the freeing supper of our Lord which we crave week in and week out. These are the heart of the Reformation. But they are also the heart of all of our lives. And the gospel which was so boldly proclaimed in those days needs always be boldly proclaimed. So that we, through the word of Christ, may have faith. And through faith be brought to a knowledge of the truth. And of that truth, be set truly free. Amen. In the name of Jesus, our only hope in this life and the next. Amen.